Hey, this is Josh Trent. This is the Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. And this is a very special re-release. This is from my buddy, Ryan Sprague. He interviewed me in such a beautiful way on his podcast called This One Time on Psychedelics. Now, as you know, we've been exploring this quite a bit on the podcast recently. And Ryan asked some very profound questions. We'll talk about plant medicine and understanding the ego. I look back on my own psychedelic experience and my takeaways things that were beautiful when I allowed my ego to go through a death process, how psychedelics have shaped this podcast and my life and the way that I relate to my woman, my child, my work, everything you could imagine. I really think you're going to love this podcast. This is Ryan Sprague, this one time on psychedelics. Please make sure you follow Ryan on Instagram and let us know what other topics, what other interviews do you want to hear on the Wellness and Wisdom podcast. At the end of the day, I want to make sure that you are nourished because when you're nourished, you can nourish the world. And when the world is nourished, then the universe smiles. Enjoy this podcast with my buddy and fellow podcaster, Ryan Sprague, right here, right now on the Wellness and Wisdom podcast. Greetings, my brothers and sisters. Sending gratitude to all of you who are joining in today to accompany us down the rabbit hole of self-exploration through plant medicines. My name is Ryan Sprague, and I'm here to tell you that your frequency is now set and tuned to explore psychedelic medicines and the impact they've made among the countless psychonauts exploring the last true frontier. Buy a ticket and take the ride with me as we get true first-hand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of psychedelic medicines on This One Time on Psychedelics. Speaking to my own experiences within the realm of plant medicines, I have found one of the most potent effects from these medicines to be the ability for me to deepen my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual intelligence. For me, intelligence has been far more profound than knowledge, as while knowledge is defined as the collection of skills and information a person has, intelligence is directly related to how an individual applies his or her knowledge to their experience of life. In a world that is left-brain dominant, I have found that plant medicines have illuminated the path for me to connect deeply to my own innate intelligence, and as a result, they have opened up the opportunity to have a nice cosmic giggle from time to time, from the incredible gift that is the innate intelligence of the human mind, body, and spirit. Stopping by to share his time and wisdom with us today on the show is an individual who has made it his life mission to help others gain physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual intelligence in the important work he creates in the world. He is the CEO of Wellness Wisdom Media and host of Wellness Wisdom, which is a show committed to providing wisdom from some of the greatest minds in today's world as to how to create authentic well-being in their experience of life in order to live a life full of confidence, freedom, and optimal wellness. He is also a dedicated father and is passionate about guiding others who are looking to increase their quality of life through his free guides and the incredible community and tribe he has created by joining like-minded individuals together to support one another in their experience of life. And if all of that wasn't enough, he is also someone who has benefited from the conscious, intentional use of plant medicines. Within this episode, we will be diving into some of these experiences, the notion of less being more within the plant medicine space, and what his experiences have allowed for within his journey of life. So please, strap your curiosity caps on, and give me a big hand in welcoming my man, Josh Trent, onto the show. Josh, pleasure to have you here, man. Thank you for having me. Let's dive in. Hell yeah, man. So one thing I love asking 
at the beginning of these episodes is how you first became interested in the idea of psychedelics. Because growing up with the D.A.R.E. program, growing up with the Just Say No campaigns and all of this, a lot of people were really nervous to interact with with these medicines. And so I'm curious what got you from just saying no to potentially saying yes. Well, um, I was raised in an environment, uh, East County La Mesa, where drug use was pretty much just party time. There was, there was no <laughs> conscious use of plant medicines or really any medicine whatsoever. So for me, I think I was, I think I was 33, 34 years old. I'm 42 now. So about 10 years ago, mm. I had done some like, ecstasy journeys and party stuff, which I think a lot of people do, but it was really just me trying to find some peace and some wholeness in a backwards way. (laughs) And so it wasn't until 33, 34 that I was feeling the call towards ayahuasca. It was in a previous partnership Mm. and she had said, oh, this can really help with inner child work and, and with depression and anxiety. At that time I was struggling with some anxiety, I guess you could say 33, 34. And so I did my first ayahuasca journey at 34, 33, mm. 34. And oh my God, it was like Icaros and people vomiting. And I myself went to the bathroom. It was just kind of a terrible experience. I actually <laughs> learned from that experience that it wasn't the right partner for me. And, but there was one moment, there was this one moment where I went into the bathroom and I was just praying and I really didn't have a connection with God at that time my connection with source and with spirit has really uh, developed over the past decade. And that was really the jumping off point for me because I was on the toilet and I was just like shitting and vomiting. (laughs) And I just asked, I was like, I don't know if anyone's listening, but please, can you take away all this suffering, this pain? And I felt like these vines wrapping around my legs and just holding me. And it was like, I was being held by the most loving, beautiful, sacred, grandmother that I never had, Mm. you know, and my grandmother did the best she could, you know, I love you grandma. (laughs) Cause when she held me, it felt beautiful too, but there was something about being held and it was only, it was fleeting. It was only like 10, 30 seconds, but I said, okay, I I might visit you again one day. Mm. I might visit you again one day. Mm. And then over the course of the next year or two, you know, some things happened and the relationship crumbled and my life met, you know, really metamorphized into different things. But it was that moment where I thought, okay, there's something to this. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's definitely something that deserves respect and really discovery. Mm. I love that, man. And, you know, one thing I'd love to ask you is, What do you feel with regards to waiting until later in life to interact with these medicines? Because like you were saying, right, like it's kind of a coming of age thing to interact with certain types of substances or medicines, however you're looking at them. But at the same time, what I found, you know, I waited until I was 23 to experience anything uh, other than cannabis. And that's still a pretty young age. But at the time I really started interacting with these substances as medicines, I was more around 28. And so very similar age group to what you were in. And I find that, you know, for me and my own personal journey, when I was interacting with that later age, I was able to have more reverence with them. I was able to have more respect for them because I was able to have more reverence and respect for myself. And so I'm curious what you would say about that, because there are a lot of people that are interacting with these young ages, and that's not necessarily inherently a bad thing, but it can be a slippery slope. And so I'm curious what you'd say. Well, reverence is built on life experience. Yes. I don't think it's possible to have true reverence, unless it's part of your soul contract, Mm -hmm. unless you're just gifted with that faculty early in life. But I I think that's pretty rare Mm. that somebody would have reverence in the first 10, 20 years of their life. Maybe Mm. it's it's possible. But for me, that was not the case. And so I can say that, that exploring psychedelics and really any, any plant medicines or any entheogens 
was the beginning of my journey to unpack much other layers in a more conscious way. So mm. I guess you could say my energy might come from when I first went to the ayahuasca ceremony was, oh, wow, can this heal me? Yes. <laughs> can this heal me? Is this, <laughs> is this the golden ticket that's going to heal me? And, and, and we can talk about this more later on. That's actually the wrong come from. That's the wrong intention to go into a ceremony with. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, please heal me. It's a very mm-hmm. desperate, scarcity-driven mental conversation at that point. Yeah, it's needy. So, so I think when people explore psychedelics later in life, number one, they have more life experience. They have a greater capacity of uh, learning lessons that they have hopefully integrated and so I think that gives them a, a, a bigger barometer mm. to actually feel an experience and then derive some kind of wisdom from it. Mm. And I don't think that's the case all the time in the first 20 years of our life. You know, the first 20 years of my life were really just like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> what is this rock in the middle of our space? Like, what is this body? Like, what, yeah. what are these hands? Like, what, why are women the way they are? Why are people the way they are? Like, it was just this. And, and I still have that to some degree, but I will say that having reverence is something that is truly built on a bedrock of life experience. Mm. And you cannot cheat life experience. You can try to do a shortcut, but it'll turn into a long cut. 100%, man. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think that's one been one of the biggest things for me that's allowed me now when I interact with these medicines to have more anchors to pull from because I've had more life experience from which to relate these experiences to. And one of the things you mentioned within your ayahuasca experience is the idea of puking, shitting, purging, all of these things. And I always say that like, for me, I see like the taste of mushrooms, right? Which a lot of people are like, oh, mushrooms, they don't taste that good. Yeah, I see these kind of like... I wouldn't say challenges, but let's call them challenges, challenges within these experiences, right? Whether it's purging, whether it's the taste of things, et cetera, it's kind of like the barrier for entry. And so I'm curious for you, like having gone through that experience and having experienced those challenges within purging and things like that, do you think that allows for a humbling of sorts with regards to medicines? Because there are certain medicines that might not do that, right? Like MDMA, you might puke from if you take too much. But it's overall a really easy experience in most cases. But with ayahuasca and even mushrooms and LSD, et cetera, and even cannabis sometimes, it can be a really challenging experience. But for me, what that's done is allowed me to respect them a lot more. And so I'm curious for you, after you went through that experience, were you able to actually really discern from that point forward, like instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to go do another ceremony, we were able to go, am I willing to go through all of that first though? Because I think that really helps us, at least for me, be able to tune in and go, am I ready to really do all of that right now? No doubt. Look at a surfer. When when a big wave surfer slides down the face of a 50-foot wave, you better believe that he or she has done some serious personal work before they embark on that kind of a journey. And it's the same thing too with public speaking. Like in order to speak in front of a big audience, you've had to have some practice. Maybe you've had to have some embarrassment. Maybe you've had to have some success. I think that that psychedelics are just a table, right? They're a table. They're an altar. They're a threshold, whatever word you want to use. And when we get to that place, there's an immediate soul and spiritual check-in of who am I? Am I really ready for this? And do I have the right intention when I come to this table? Mm. It reminds me of when um, the Lakota used to meet. And when the Lakota would meet, they would, they would actually take a breath after every single person would speak. And it's profound because that would allow people to actually hear them and let them know that they were heard. Well, the same thing has to apply at the table or the altar of psychedelics. You have to let psychedelics know that you are there and you have to give psychedelics space to breathe you in. There needs to be a serious acknowledgement of the sacredness and also, also the danger. 
you know, there's, there's real rational danger, not irrational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's rational fear and irrational fear. There, are, there is real rational danger when it comes to psychedelics. And the set and the setting, which I know we'll go into, are so important. And also the intention of the, of the participant themselves and, and the shaman or the leader or the facilitator. So, yeah, there is an ultimate gut check moment. You know, if you jump out of an airplane, everything in your body is screaming at you, what are you doing? Yeah. But, the, but the payoff is that you maybe get to lean into the edge and you get to taste death for a moment. Mm-hmm. And there can be some lessons there, too. So mm-hmm. psychedelics bring incredible lessons, but only if the student is humble. And this, this is the key. When you approach any ceremony... And it could be breath work too, mm-hmm. right? But when you psychedelics specifically, we op, you and I operate in the 3D. And here in the 3D, we have trauma that we experience. It could be capital T, it could be sexual, physical, you know, neglect. It also could just be that, you know, your mom and dad did the best they could. And, and quite frankly, that might've traumatized you too. That's part of the human experience. So when we come in here and we come to that altar with the psychedelics, we have to be able to take a breath, slow down, let the psychedelics know that we are here for something sacred, that this isn't just a party. We're not just like trying to have fun that, and I don't want to judge that either. There's a time and a place for that, I mm. guess. Just not, I don't, doesn't call me, yeah. but, but it might call <laughs> some people. So yeah, we really have to slow down. We have to be intentional about that because I think number one, it allows us to enter into the sacredness and it allows the sacredness to enter into us. Yes. But we can't do that unless there's an honoring of the sacrament of the table, the altar, the threshold itself. You know, I love that. And, you know, one of the things you brought up too is this idea of fun within the psychedelic space. And what I tell people is like, listen, just because you're doing this in this way that we're speaking of and you're setting intention and you're holding it in reverence and you're respecting it, doesn't mean you won't have some fun potentially, right? Right. But it means you might actually be able to have more fun and like real fun. Because for me, what I've understood about fun is that a lot of times when I thought I was having fun in earlier years with cannabis or whatever, I was actually just numbing out. And so my fun was actually a disconnect, right? Like I was disconnecting and I coordinated that to be fun and saw that to be fun. But now when I'm interacting with these medicines, it's really fun because I'm able to stop taking myself so seriously a lot of the time because I'm surrendering myself into the experience and be able to laugh at a lot of the things that I take myself seriously for in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow, look at you know Ryan doing this or that and taking himself so seriously. Like, what am I taking myself that seriously for? And in that, there is a, co- a lot of cosmic laughter. And so what I always tell people is like, listen, you know, it's okay to have fun within these experiences, but it's also equally okay to have sadness, anger, any of the other things that come up. And I think where a lot of people get in trouble is that they think, oh, I'm going to take this, I'm going to have fun. And that's the only thing they think about, right? Mm. But how I interact with them now is I go, look out. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's a yikes waiting to happen. But it's like now when I look into these medicines, I go, well, I'm going to experience, I imagine many of the ranges of the color wheel of emotion. And so if I'm okay with all of that, then I'm never surprised per se by an emotion. I might still be jarred by it, right? Because yeah. I might it might be stronger than I expected, but I'm not like it should have been a different way. It it you know, this wasn't supposed to happen, any of those kind of things. And I think that's really important going into experience as well. There needs to be an honoring of the mystery that you just simply don't know. Exactly. So if we can breathe into the mystery, and and honestly, psychedelics are a metaphor for a lot of other things in life. Relationship is a PhD in emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics are a PhD in consciousness. Mm -hmm. So we go into these spaces and we might not be ready to learn the lesson, right? I mean, that's that's real. So I want want to preface that. I am... 
I am not like an evangelist for psychedelics, but I'm also not anti-psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So this might be a different episode. I'm not going to be here and sing the praises of ayahuasca, right? But I will say like when we go into the space of the four and the 5D, we have to be integrated enough in the 3D to know who are we? What, what desire do we have? What are we asking spirit for? And, and how much mystery are we able to hold without it overwhelming our nervous system. Mm. I love that. And you know, it's funny you mentioned, you know, with regards to not being an evangelist or anti-evangelist, right? Or unevangelist. And yes. so one of the things that I look into with this show specifically is this is what I love getting into. Because like you and I talked about in our initial conversation, right? What I feel in the world right now is that there's a lot of challenge going on with psychedelics becoming much more popular very quickly and being seen as almost the cool thing to do. Yeah. When in reality, I can tell you there's nothing cool about doing psychedelics. They're not a notch in your belt that you get. Like There's a real opportunity that you don't come back the way you left because when you're leaving, you're disintegrating from what your normal construct of reality is. Yeah. And then when you're coming back in, hopefully you're integrating back into daily life and back into the 3D. But there's no given for that. It's not like, oh, you definitely will. I mean, there's so many challenges within that. And I think that's one of the main things that I love chatting with you about because I know we have the same mindset on that. Like, listen, these medicines are, are one river that can lead to a seed that there's many other rivers that can lead you to here. Meditation, breath work, walking, exercise, who knows? They can all lead you to the same sea. But if it's calling you, right, then it might be the thing to tune into. And so I'm curious for you, like, how do you know when you're feeling the call versus maybe in your life and when you were younger, people are saying, come on, Josh, just do it. It'll be yeah. fun, right? Like, how do you distinguish for those listening what a calling is and what maybe like a popularity contest is or something like that, where maybe you're getting not peer pressure in the sense of what peer pressure is known to be, but maybe you see friends do it and you're like, ah, maybe, maybe I'll do it, right? Like, what's the difference there as you see it? The compass is from head or from heart. Mm. That's the compass. If I'm feeling a tug, see our soul, it doesn't bark at us. It's not like do this motherfucker. That's not what our soul <laughs> yeah. does. Our soul says something like, go talk to that person mm. or for you go to that retreat. Mm. You know, it, it's like a whisper mm -hmm. or it's like a tickle of a feather. Mm -hmm. It's not a sledgehammer. <laughs> it's not like your, your soul is not going to just slap you in the face. Your mind because it wants to, the mind does two things really well. It protects us and it receives and gives information. Mm. That's its job, mm -hmm. really. And the mind is beautiful. I'm not here to demonize the mind. The mind is an incredible servant. Mm. But if I'm not integrated enough within myself, then the mind becomes the master. Mm. And when the mind is the master, the soul starts to get really uncomfortable. Mm. And when the soul gets really uncomfortable, and I can flash back to my upbringing, you know, my mom and dad did the best they could with the level of skills and knowledge and consciousness that they had at that time. Mm. So thank you parents for giving me life and for doing yeah. the best you could. Right. And there were certain traumas and there were certain things that um, I've had to integrate and that I'm still integrating. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the human experience. So if I'm honest with myself and I'm honest with the medicine about that, and really I just live my life that way, then when I get a call or when I get an opportunity to go into a ceremony or to go into any type of, of situation where there's going to be challenge and also growth, think about the Chinese symbol for crisis, man. One of the best, one of the best analogies I can make here is the Chinese symbol for crisis is danger and opportunity. <laughs> 
And and I learned about this from a documentary film called Finding Joe, which mm. if you haven't seen that I have documentary, anybody that wants to do psychedelics needs to watch that documentary. It's not about psychedelics per se, but it's incredible. It's a good metaphor. I'll just I'll give you guys a hint. Um, you'll be able to see what the Golden Buddha really is mm. if you watch that documentary. So put I'm that in. put that in the show notes. <laughs> but but when you go when you go into that space and you really start to ask yourself, am I ready to re- can it first of all can I be humble enough? to receive the wisdom of what spirit and God and creators is wanting to bring to me. And also can I be courageous and can I be strong enough to integrate it? Mm. So when I come to that space, can I be, can I first of all be humble? And in humility is interesting because people think that humility is disempowering a lot. Like, Oh, humble person, you know, that's not true. I think humility can be really powerful. We live in an age of Instagram and of everybody being a leader and a coach and all these things. And humility is sometimes looked at as weakness. I think it's the opposite. I think when you come to medicine, when you come to ceremony, you have to start with humility. Start there. Yes. Then from humility, then hopefully, and, and this is one thing I'd love to unpack is mm. like the road to get there. Cause mm. there's a lot of, there's things that I would have done different and there's things that I do different now mm. to prepare for ceremony. But when you go to the ceremony with all the work that we'll talk about, and then when you get there, God, I'm humble. What are you here to teach me? I have an intention. I have a desire, but what are you here to teach me? Mm. And also thank you for the courage. Thank you for the courage and the strength for me to integrate that lesson. Yeah. So start there. That's that's the first two steps. I think that's amazing advice and and very sound advice because, you know, for me, like when I look into these experiences now, I know what kind of rabbit holes might open up, right? And what Pandora's mocks might throw at me. Yeah. And so I'm like, do I have the space in my life right now to be able to do the real work within that, which isn't necessarily the PEAK experience. It's in order to integrate that PEAK experience to be able to have PEEK experiences where your life starts to resemble the magic that you feel within these experiences. Mm. And integration is not optional. And I think that's a big misnomer within the realm of psychedelics. You know, people are like, yeah, have this experience. And then if, if you want to integrate, you can. It's like, what? That's, oh that's, my God. That's the whole entire thing. That's like, the thing. That is the thing. And so I'd love if you could talk about that. Like, what have you found about integration? And what are some of your personal methods that you've used to be able to integrate? Because what I've found about integration is that there are endless different ways to do it. And like I mentioned in your episode, people kept telling me, journal, journal, journal. And I'm like, I'm just not someone who wants Maybe, to journal. for right? some people in my work. Yeah, but for me, yeah. it's walking without a phone and just really contemplating. So I'd yep. love to hear some of your favorite methods and what you think about integration. I think that integration is threefold. Mm. I think that there's pre, peri, and post. Mm. And I actually think that all three can be dictated by one another. So if I'm, if I'm preparing for a ceremony, and this is what I said I, I wanted to get into, because when I'm called to a ceremony now, and quite frankly, right now, I'm not like deeply called, but mm. I'll know that because we talked about the heart wanting to pull you into it. The heart's a whisper. The mind is going to tell you, do the ceremony. It's going to be the golden ticket. So, so with that frame, what I would do is I would start with something like a Vipassana. A Vipassana is powerful. I did one in 2016. Mm. It's 10 days of silent meditation. No masturbation, no talking, no looking, two meals a day, and like 14 hours of meditation a day. It might be 12. I don't know. <laughs> so start there. Get really get comfortable being with yourself and your breath and your thoughts. That's a beautiful, beautiful training tool for psychedelics. Mm. Next would be doing loving kindness meditation or like a dispensa meditation or some breathwork meditations, right? We have a lot of those in the breathe program, mm. like specific breathwork meditations that are by neural beat guided. And then start to see what arises inside of you 
when there's no distractions around you, when your cell phone's not going off, when your partner's not talking to you, when your kids aren't crying, when bills aren't due, like just you and yourself, just being in the spaciousness of you and feel what comes up there. Because whatever comes up there is going to come up in ceremony, probably 20x. So yes. float tank, some type of meditation practice. I'm not here to say that there's one that's better than the other, but mm-hmm. some type of meditation practice. Also, float tanks are very beneficial. Float tanks can be 90 minutes, uh, even more than that. I think 90 minutes is a good one. Mm-hmm. Maybe using a microdose of psilocybin or maybe just some kana, something very light. I'm not talking about doing a big dose of anything here. I'm talking about a microdose of something. Mm. And just practice being in the water and just breathing through your belly. Mm. Just breathing through your belly. Just just doing that. Then go and do something like a, a physical event. I did the 20X, which is like this overnight crucible where you're not eating that much, you're cold and you're shivering and you're soaking wet and you're doing like Navy SEAL workouts because <laughs> your mind will go to psychedelic states there. Mm-hmm. Mark Devine talks about this in his work. He was mm-hmm. the guy, it was on my 37th birthday that I did the 20X and he's like, happy birthday. And he poured ice water on my body. <laughs> and, and so like, and, and over the next 12 hours, I, my mind was going in all these places because of the physical discomfort that I was in. So you see, there's like this road to get to psychedelics. And I'm not here to say that you shouldn't do psychedelics if you haven't done that stuff. I'm just sharing my own experience from my own life wisdom to shorten the pain curve for y'all. Make sure that there's an on-ramp for you to get there. So that's that's when the integration really starts. And then also in the beginning of integration, if you have a journaling practice, cool. If you have a walking practice, cool. Whatever your practice is, just have a practice. Yes. Just have some type of practice. So yes. It doesn't have to be the perfect one. And make sure that you're practicing humility. You're practicing uh, asking spirit, asking creator, what is it that you'd like me to learn? Because a lot of times you'll get, you know, the ceremony starts when you say yes to the ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to start way before you get in there. So, so have that foundation of physiological, mental, and really biological uh, peace within yourself, and then go to the ceremony. Then when you're in the ceremony, this is the parry, right? So uh, gym goers would know this because as you're working out in the gym, you might be drinking protein or you might be breathing or resting. Same thing in psychedelics. Do not, this is the big key, do not let your ego drive you to get the fourth cup mm. or drive you to take the third dose. Or dri- I, I have fallen into that trap which we can unpack later. And that, and that led me to my own very dark night of the soul, very hard lesson, which was beautiful, but I wouldn't wish that on anyone else. Mm. So the wisdom I have now says, okay, go slow, be intentional, be conscious in the ceremony. And, and if the same thing applies with the, the head pushing you or the heart pulling you, when you're in the ceremony itself, do, pay no mind to the people around you that are taking whatever doses they're taking or having whatever experience they're having. Pay no mind to that. And really just focus on what you need, your, your intention, you know, God grant me this humility, God show me the lessons, give me the courage and the strength to integrate those lessons. And then when you're in the ceremony, it may not be easy. It almost reminds me of that scene in Indiana Jones. I think it was um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark when they opened up the Ark and like everybody's faces melted and there's like all these things flying around like that. That's kind of what these journeys can be. Yeah. But if you notice what Indiana Jones did during that. He closed his eyes and he breathed. He was holding him and the woman in the scene, right? And it was just, <sighs> he was breathing. That's the big one is the anchor. So another thing to integrate in Perry in, in ceremony is your breathing. 
And not just like, not just like upper chest breathing. I mean like real, like if you lay down, watch your belly rise, watch your belly fall. If you're sitting up, watch your belly go out, watch your belly go in. Like breath is the ultimate anchor. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have like conscious breath training. And then when the ceremony's done, hopefully you're in a space where you've used your intuition to, to feel into the shaman, to feel into the facilitator and ask yourself, do I like the person that they're being? Mm. Do I like... What is the, what is, what emanates, what is the energy that emanates from the shaman or the facilitator? And do I like that? Does that resonate with me? Mm. Cause there's different shamans for different folks. Not, every, not everybody's going to resonate with the same shaman. <laughs> yeah. And it's the shaman's responsibility to tie an energy cord to every participant so that entities don't attach. Mm. And so that's the big key. And then hopefully that shaman who, who's facilitated or, or anybody who's facilitated, they then take you through a, a small unpacking of what arose for you and they can help you regulate your nervous system. That's a big one. They can bring you down a baseline. They, they, can, they can take you from the four and five D and they can bring you back to three and they can give you some tools and some practices to go home with so that you're not just cut loose swimming in water. Mm. I mean, that's what it can feel like for some people. Absolutely. And also just from a safety standpoint, I do want to say there are some people that should not do psychedelics. Um, people that have schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and, and the list goes on. I'm sure you've talked about it on the mm -hmm. show. Those are things that there's better practices for them. 100%. There's better practices for them. Um, and so that the, the final rounding is when we're done and when we go home, there, there must be an integrative program, a coach or a guide or someone, or even, even a counselor, just somebody skilled in, in post psychedelic experience that knows how to help you regulate even more. And this is the key. They themselves are someone that has tapped into spirit and they know how to help you integrate the lessons that spirit brought you. Yes. And they're not just someone who's gone to Burning Man twice and is now a guide, right? Like they're is, real. <laughs> dude, I got, I got to mention this one thing here in Austin and also where I'm from Encinitas and really any, any major uh, metropolitan city. People will do one journey and they'll, the next day they'll text all their friends. I'm called to, to serve medicine. Yep. I'm called, I'm called to be a facilitator. Now it's like, first of all, slow the fuck down, cowboy. <laughs> You're not being called. That's your ego thinking that this is going to be your meal ticket to mm -hmm. do the things that make you feel good. And mm -hmm. that ain't the right come from. So, yes, I, I love that, man. And again, like I was saying, like, you know, these are the things I love presenting on this show because they're things that I don't hear talked about nearly enough, right? Just that whole idea of like, hey, really ask questions for the facilitator or shaman you're looking into. Yeah. How long have you been practicing? What lineage are you a part of? How do you right? feel in your body when they're speaking to you? Yes, that's the biggest thing. I love that you mentioned that because before all the questions, it's just like, how do you feel sharing space with that individual? Do they make you feel safe, right? Are they upregulated? I just had my buddy Sam Cabert on and he was talking about this journey that he did with ayahuasca. And the whole time he was saying like, to, to my soul's credit, it was giving me the signs the whole time, right? But he ends up going to Costa Rica. There's a lot of like weather things going on that he's like, you know, a big metaphor for like this whole experience being really challenging. He gets to the event and not the shaman that was there, but like the lead facilitator, if you will. She was extremely anxious. Like she was like, okay, everyone's got to give me their phones and you know, like you can't have your phones. And he was just like, Oof. I don't know. This doesn't exactly feel right. Cause yeah. it was in the middle of the jungle. And he's like, well, what if I want to leave? Cause he was already thinking about that. Long story short, he ends up leaving like after the first night. Cause he's like, this is just some dark stuff going on. And he was like trying to sneak out. Cause he's like, I bet everyone, like what he was believing is that everyone else is having a fine time. This is my thing. I don't know. Come to find out a third of the group left after that first night because they didn't feel safe there. And so these Good. are really important 
different things because the last thing you want to do just on a monetary thing is fly all the way to Costa Rica and then realize that you don't want to do this experience. At least if you have that realization, though, you're in Costa Rica and you can go to the beach and have some fun there. But if you don't realize that and you aren't aware enough, which is the argument for doing this work before you get into psychedelics, if you're not self-aware, then you're really just playing with fire. That's right. Because at the end of the day, just because someone is re- uh, listed as a facilitator or shaman does not mean that they might be doing white magic, right? Or being in the light, even if they truly believe they are. They might have things that you otherwise would be able to feel if you're self-aware enough, if you've done the work. But if you don't have that, like, that, that basis to go from then you can get yourself into some hot water really quickly. And I mean, you know, training with Paul, I've heard many different stories of people having things attached to them to come back and all of these types of things. And it's challenging. It's real, right? It's a real thing. And so, you know, one of the things that I'd love to get in for you, I'm going to ask you a big question, right? Because this podcast is not just about psychedelics. It's really about everything in the psychedelic realm, right? And this isn't really in the psychedelic realm, but you'll get what I mean when I ask it. I know you're big in God, right? And and I am too, big in spirituality. Yes, because we are God. Yeah, exactly. God you know? Yeah, spoiler alert, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm curious for you, how do you explain what God or spirit is? When I say that I am God, I don't mean that I am the creator. Mm-hmm. So I want to be really clear about that. I don't have an ego about me being God and, you know, I'm, I'm this demigod that floats around the <laughs> earth. What I'm saying is, is that if, if you and I are made from formless substance, And that formless substance is from a field and from a creation standpoint that we have a mystery and an honor for, but yet we don't fully understand. That's what I'm talking about. Mm. I'm talking about the fact that if God is nothing, no thing, and God is everything at the same time, then we, you and I are unique points of consciousness that are expressing God's self. Yeah. So if, so your unique soul contract of how you came into the world, my unique soul contract, contract of how I came into the world, the way that I resist that, the karma that's created, the dharma that I live out, there's no there's no perfect template for me to explain what God is. Mm. There's no perfection of God besides the knowing of what God is. And you can't put that into a book for everyone to understand. There's a book in my shelf that Paul sent me. I think it's called Divination. Mm. And, and in that book, there's like this mandala and, and there's people do a lot of mandalas to express what God is. God is an, an omnipresent loving energy that wants to experience God's self in unlimited ways that our mind could never comprehend. Mm. My heart, my heart's heavy today because I know here in Texas, there was a shooting mm. a couple of days ago. And people asked me, I actually had someone ask me like, how do you explain that? Like angry at me because of my viewpoints on God. And I said, the way I explain it is that I, I am humble enough to know that I cannot explain it. And that sometimes there are things that happen in this world that are, that are so challenging and so sad that really, I think the only reason they're there is to counterbalance us back to wholeness, to counterbalance us back to the loving energy that God is. But also, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit, in, in the Bible, and I'm not a religious man, but in the Bible, it's Isaiah 45, 7. Right, and I'm sure you've heard this passage before. Mm-hmm. I, the Lord, create dark and light. I, the Lord, create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So if you really want to go back to the source, the, the word of God, in the beginning was the word, God is telling us that God is evil and God is love. So there's a lot of mystery there. I mean, I got chills in my body just talking to you right now about it. It's like... I cannot sit here and tell you with my human words exactly what God is. 
I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. I'll do my best to share with you what I, what I feel God is. But if I try to get into a match of intellectualization with you where I tell you what I think God is, I'm going to lose. I can only express to you what I feel God is, and that's from my own unique life experience and also honoring just the incredible mystery that God is. I don't know. I mean, there's been times where I've been like, God, why do you want to experience yourself that way? Why, why do you want to experience yourself in a, in a school killing these children? I mean, it's just like, like bringing so much sadness to me. Like, mm. but, in, but in the way of the theater playing out, that's part of it. That's part of it. And really what it does is, again, it counterbalances us to say, wow, how can we get pharmaceutical drugs out of the hands of 17, 18, 19 year old kids? And how can we have real emotional intelligence programs so that they feel seen, they feel heard and they feel loved. Mm. That's really why these events happen. Absolutely. I'm not here. I'm not here to take away from what has occurred. I cannot even begin to, to feel the sadness of what those parents might be feeling. So I'm here, I'm here to honor them and to honor their sadness, but also I'm here to honor the mystery that is counterbalancing us back to wholeness. You know, I love that you brought up that horrible event that happened because, you know, what I feel happens as a result of that. And of course, I would love to be in a world where those things did not happen. But now that it did happen, unfortunately, we're able to start diving deeper into the actual challenges going on here. With why did health. it happen? Yeah, why did it happen? And how can we prevent that moving forward? And when we think about it, you know, I hate to make this relation, I won't say hate, but I I mean to make this relation in a way that's not so silly, but like when we look at like a gym, right? And we look at going to the gym, like if we try to lift too much weight and we get injured, yeah, that's a terrible event, but we learn from that, right? And so things happen and some things happen that are absolutely horrible, but they happened. Now, what can we do moving forward to prevent that from ever happening again? And I think that within the realm of God being good and evil, you know, within the plant medicine space, if someone doesn't understand that they have the capabilities to be good or evil, I think that can really lead to some challenging experiences because for everyone listening, it, you, you could even leave off the terms good and evil, yeah. but I imagine everyone listening has done something they look back on now and go, oh, that was kind of fucked up, right? Yeah. And so where did that come from? Well, it didn't come from necessarily the good components of you. It came from the full spectrum of what God is. And I love that you talked about it. It's like the Tao that Paul says, you know, it's, it's the thing that you cannot describe you cannot explain, yet it is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And it is creating everything at the same time. It's, it's a mind fuck. It's a mind fuck. I mm-hmm. mean, these are the kind of things I was talking about this with Cal, where like just a word in general, right? Like you want a psychedelic experience without any medicines, look at a word like this or look like a normal word and say it over and over about 30 times. And by the 30th time you say that, you'll barely even be able to pronounce it. And you'll be like, is this even a real world? It's literally a mind fuck. And so like, you know, I really think that life itself is a psychedelic. And when we could dive down this rabbit hole, if you want, like, you know, consciousness, right? Like is a psychic substance. And so how do we know that it's not a hallucinogen of some sort and that it's God actually tripping to experience itself in infinite different ways? I mean, that's a rabbit hole that like, these are the kind of things I love having the show for. Cause of course, no one's going to listen to the show and go, that was weird that you guys talked about that. It's like the show has a psychedelic in the name, yes. right? <laughs> and so it's funny, man, because you know, I really start thinking about these things and, you know, good and evil and all of these kind of things. And I really start asking myself like, okay, where is that within me? 
And where can I look at these horrible events? And of course, I would never go to a school and do something like that. But where can I go? Hey, you know, maybe I was a little too out for myself at this point in my life. And how can I go in there yeah. and take these events as a, as a reminder to look inside myself and go, where is there still evil living within me? And I think that these medicines can be one way to do that, but that is a very slippery slope. I mean, that, yeah. that is a recipe for some pretty, pretty good disaster if you don't know what you're messing with. Well, I, I, it's interesting because I, we have, as, as part of the being, we have the ego. Mm. And the ego is, I think, in communion with the mind, mostly, mm -hmm. you know, especially the subconscious mind. And so it wants to give and receive information and it wants to keep us safe. That's mm -hmm. its number one job. Mm -hmm. It does a really good job of that. But an ego left unchecked, anger left unchecked, sadness left unchecked, they can metastasize. They can really go through like a metamorphic process of becoming something very sinister than what they started out as. All emotions that don't feel good or all things that are evil, they are in some way trying to get us back to a center. They're trying to get us back to a wholeness or to a lovingness. But to the to whatever vantage point I see that as, the pain, the discomfort, the tragedy, whatever it is, whatever meaning I make from that, that's what's going to imprint my ego. And that's how my ego is going to operate even more from that space. Mm. So in other words, like let's say, for example... I have a experience with um, a friend and the friend becomes an enemy because sometimes that just happens in life. Mm -hmm. And I might have a thought. Now it's just a thought. It's just like a leaf blowing by. And the thought is, damn, I hope that person dies. And I've definitely thought that before. Mm -hmm. Now, do I really mean that? Absolutely not. <laughs> I never wish death or harm upon <laughs> yeah. anyone, but it's, a, but I notice it's a thought that comes by, right? And so if I reach out and I grab that leaf and I hold it and I ruminate on that leaf and I go, yeah, this person should die. Yeah, fuck them. And I start to build a case as to why that thought was true. Look out. I mean, that's how these things happen. Mm -hmm. So what we need is we need a, a, a society that teaches human beings how to notice thoughts instead of attach to them. And that, of course, plays out in psychedelics as well, mm -hmm. right? It definitely played out for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my whole Costa Rica experience. <laughs> so, so one has to be careful and, and really like I use that phrase, pay no mind. It's funny. Like I'm, I'm paying the only thing that I have that's more valuable than anything in this world is my time, right? Mm -hmm. My currency of time. So if I'm paying a thought to a leaf that go, that floats by that says someone should die, someone should be in pain because my ego is hurt or because of what experience I, I had with them. Um, that is malevolence that lives in me, just like it lives in you, just like it lives in the people in this room. Mm -hmm. We've all had that experience where all of a sudden malevolence comes online. We think about it, we breathe and we go, that's not a loving thing to do, mm -hmm. but we have to give ourselves the spaciousness to have the conversation. I'm not here to sit and nor should any human being ever say, I've never had thoughts that I want to kill other people. I've never had thoughts that, you know, fill in the blank. The, the worst thoughts you could imagine, we've all had them, but how are we attaching and identifying with them? That's the big one. And that's what needs the most attention. Yes. I love that you said that because I, I always use this analogy of a dinner table. <clears throat> and ideally, in a perfect world, we are the observer at the head of the table, hearing all of the voices or thoughts or whatever you want to say they are, emotions, because I really think emotions and thoughts are just the same information, but two different senses way of making sense. Ooh, of let's dig into that when yeah, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a theory on that. All right, cool. It's a and, theory. Yeah. <laughs> I love theories here, you know? <laughs> okay. and, and so this dinner table, like we have all these voices, but if we forget that we're the head of the table and we end up being identified with one of those voices, well then are we really living our life as a sovereign being or are we actually living 
some malevolence out in person, right? Like, mm-hmm. are we actually taking that and making it into its own entity and then moving in accordance with that? I mean, that's what programming is in all of these things, right? We talk about yeah. these words, but I think what it really is, is, you know, when we get programmed, we can only get programmed for unconscious to what's happening. I really feel that. And so the second we become conscious of it, and this is what meditating and breath work and all the work we've been talking about can do, right? It can help us every day get back out of that observer seat before we go out into the world. That's why it's so important to do it in the morning. Because if we can catch it early, then we can hear hear those thoughts go through our head and go, yeah, okay. What's that thought? Nope. I choose to be the opposite. I, this is who I choose to be today. Because we get to choose who we are every day. Mm-hmm. We're not the same person every day. We get to consciously choose. And if you're having the choice done for you based on what your thoughts are saying, then you're not really living your life. You're actually a prisoner. But that choice, that power of choice comes through a spiritual journey. Yes. It comes through doing the work of actually having life experience, going through getting bloodied, hurting other people, being hurt yourself, creating repairs, there's no, there's no shortcut for the journey itself because that's what allows you to have the power of choice. If it was easy, if we could all just listen to Dispenza or like, you know, go on YouTube and be like, oh yeah, the power of choice is mine. Choose love. No, it don't, it don't work like that. Love and light. <laughs> Good vibes only. Yeah. Get the fuck out of yeah, here. Get no. the fuck out of here. But, but, but what it really, it re- what it, what we're being calibrated towards is we're being calibrated towards the awareness that we have the power of choice and not making it some spiritual masquerade and not, and not really, honestly, there's a lot of people in the personal development movement and even in psychedelics that they, they say these catchphrases like the power of choice is yours. Choose love. Well, let me tell y'all, if it was that easy, we would just all do it. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's simple. And love is a light switch that you flick, but the courage to go flick it is your own unique journey. Yeah. So I want to go back to what you said about thoughts and emotions and the feelings. Yeah. This is what I've been digging into so deep in my own life. And, and even in the wellness wisdom podcast is I'm like, okay, we, we have a thought. Cool. We have a thought. That thought could be collective. We could, we could pull it from the quantum. It could be sitting here with you. I have different thoughts or it could just be thoughts that I'm experiencing. Then that thought creates some type of a feeling in me, right? But, but what am I actually feeling? I'm feeling an emotion because an emotion is energy in motion, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's only like five real human emotions. Um, there's many camps on this, but the feeling points us, the feeling's the guidepost to the emotion, to the energy in motion. And then from there, there's a behavior. Mm. So that's the very intellectual way of describing it. But like, look, if thoughts come by and we, I don't know how many thoughts we think, 96,000 in yes. a day or something like and, that. And 70% of are negative. <laughs> yeah, because because of the, the myelin sheath and the axon and the neuroplasticity that we explored before. Like, so if we know that to be true, then at any moment, we do have the power of choice to not grab the leaf, to not attach to the thought. But we have to be willing to go through the understanding of, well, what's the guidepost? What's the feeling that's directing me to the emotion? What emotion am I feeling, mm. right? What am I actually going through mm. on an energetic experience? And then what wisdom have I calibrated myself to actually make meaning of it all? And how can I be the observer at the table? Yes. So like, look, without some kind of framework to, to, fe- to feel and to emote and to understand, we can get really fucking lost. We can get really lost as a human being and then stack on top of that a society that is, you know, advertisements all around us at all times. I just had Sky King on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We talked about propaganda and marketing. We are bombarded all day long. Like try to live your life one day without being conditioned, without being advertised to. It's almost impossible. It and it really actually is. it actually is impossible, especially if you use any social media. So knowing all of this, we really have to be a warrior. We have to be a spiritual warrior. Not one that wants to go for blood, but one that wants to protect our heart. 
protect our sovereignty. Because I'm not going to give someone my heart if they continue to hurt me. I'm not going to continue to go to something abusive if I continue to get abused. I could be locked into a thought that says, if I just keep trying, it'll get better. Or I could pull back and go, okay, thought connected to the way I feel about something, which is really an emotion I'm experiencing. What lesson do I need to learn from this? Mm. That's the ultimate journey. Mm -hmm. And and there's no way for me to put it into a PDF for you. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to like give you the five top ways to feel your emotions better. It's like, you actually just have to do it. Yeah. I love that. And you know, it's so funny too, because everyone is promising. I won't say everyone, but a lot of people are promising that here, just read our five steps and you'll hundred percent get it right. You know? And I think one of the challenges is that people are looking for quick fixes because again, we've been raised or I'll at least say me, I have been raised and I imagine many other people have that we've been raised that like we get it, we study, we get an answer right or wrong. Right. So like just that type of program moving into life, it's like, okay, I download this PDF, I read through it, I must now understand it, but they're missing out on the direct experience part. And I think we mentioned this in your podcast that right now we have a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of applied knowledge. Mm. And so people can tell you what depression or anxiety is, but I think this is why coaching is like in theory getting bigger because in theory, a coach has gone through what they're coaching you on. So at least they have that direct experience to relate to and go and hold space for you and go, I know what that feels like and just hold that space for you versus a therapist because I train to be one that is just like learning a little about a lot of different stuff and then applying it, which I'm not here to knock therapy or coaching or anything, but it's just the difference in how they apply. And so I love that, man. I love going into that. There's one thing that needs to be said on this too, where we have this brain and this brain, it's, it's job is to be super efficient, right? Mm -hmm. So there's things in, I believe it's in psychology, it's called, um, heuristics and heuristics is, is shortcuts that we make all day long. So right when I meet you, I'm like, oh yeah, it's Ryan from highly optimized. (laughs) It's a shortcut. Yeah. I don't know the fabric of your being yet. I don't actually know who Brian is yet, but it's a shortcut because if I just sat there when I met you and I'm like, I wonder who this guy is. And I just like, what's he all about? What size shoe is he? You know, what's up with his lady? Like that wouldn't make any sense. That's not, that's not a good way to be. So I have compassion for myself when I'm not sleeping properly, when I'm not um, eating the best foods for whatever is called for in that moment. I have compassion for myself because I know that stress is cumulative. And if I am an overstressed being, I am more susceptible to wanting to create more and more and more heuristics in my brain, Mm. which then discount my relationship with you because I'm just shortcutting you. I'm shortcutting life itself. But it's because it's a, it's a survival strategy. And, and the world right now is, is being conditioned. People are being conditioned to be in a survival strategy to create as many heuristics and shortcuts as they can because their brain is like trying to save calories, trying to shortcut stuff so that they can just like make it through the day. So, so it needs compassion, but we also need to understand that like we're half beast and half spirit. Yes. It both, both need love and attention. Yes. It's all about balance, right? And it's just because it's simple to say it's all about balance doesn't mean it's easy, <laughs> right? Like it's the same thing as emotions or any of these things. Yeah. We can speak about it as if like, oh, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I think it's directly as a result, at least in one case, by what world we live in today, right? Where like most people don't have the space necessarily to be able to be conducive to be able to learn about emotions or do these things. If you want to learn about them and you have a job and you have a family and all these things, you got to like really thug it out a little bit and like spend some extra time doing it. You You got to thug it out. Yeah. (laughs) It's a real thing, you know? And so it's funny because 
when it comes to psychedelics, I see them as being one of those shortcuts for a lot of people, right? Like, or what people believe will be a shortcut. Yes. But they're not because a lot of times they open up way bigger of a can of worms than people are ready for. And then what can also happen, I've seen, is that say if someone has that happen, they then are not the same person anymore. They might have integrated back in as someone who their family and friends just don't know anymore. And then over time, if that person doesn't understand, like maybe I took too big of a dose or I went a little too farther ahead than when I was meant to go. I've been there. Yeah, I've been there too. And so if they're not able to work with someone and regress them back and be able to like, be okay, where did you actually, where were you actually meant to land? And you landed like five steps ahead, then essentially they can feel very alone in the world. And we know that right now we're being told this is an epidemic of loneliness. It's really the inability to connect. But at the same time, you know, like that can make people move closer to doing evil things, right? And challenge things. No one gets me. Yeah. I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. That kind of mentality. And it's challenging because when you do get into spiritual work, the ego starts telling you, you got it figured out. You know how to do this stuff, right? So it almost puts that chip on your shoulder where you can just go out there and be like, I got a PDF and you'll be able to figure it out, right? And what I understand and connect with cannabis and everything is I always say, I'm going to speak to what my experiences are, but by no means are these going to be your experiences. They might be similar, right? You might find that correlation, yeah. but in most cases, they're going to be totally different. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges with having so many people speak about their psychedelic experiences is only being like, like only the the gems they got at the end without like the, I was puking and shitting for eight hours uh-huh. part, right? Because yeah. like that's an equal part of the equation. And I think it's so important to talk about both sides of every equation in life, whether it's emotions, psychedelics, God, you know, good and evil, whatever it is, be able to create that balance. Well, okay. So you ta- you said it's important to talk about both sides. Yes. And it's also important to be prepared for the wisdom And I actually got schooled on this recently, so I'm going to quote it correctly. I thought it was Jordan Peterson that said this, but he got it from Young. Mm. So it was Young that said, be careful of unearned wisdom. Mm. So be careful of unearned wisdom. So if I go into a psychedelic space and all the things we've talked about aren't in place, I have to be really, really aware that I could possibly be harming myself because I'm so hungry for wisdom that I think is going to give me peace or that I think is going to give me the breath when really just the breath is going to give me the breath that it could actually scar me. And I went through this personally. Mm. I mean, I had a journey in Costa Rica where I had my ass handed to me and then handed to me again and then handed to me again. So I know firsthand what can happen when I'm so hungry for wisdom, which is like, that's part of my soul calling is I'm really hungry for wisdom. Same. <laughs> that, that's why, that's why this year we renamed the podcast wellness wisdom. I love that wellness, name change. wellness plus wisdom. Mm. Cause I think they, I think they're brother and sister. Yes. And so that journey kicked my ass in such a way that, you know, I, I, I don't wish it upon anyone to go through that type of a challenge, but damn, did it really serve me because like you had said, you know, with the taste of mushrooms, some people hate the taste and it's like the altar of, of humility. That was the ultimate altar of humility for me. Mm. So my time with ayahuasca is complete. <laughs> There's no, but I don't say I like, I'm grateful for it, but I'm complete. I don't need any more ayahuasca. Yeah. I'm open to other medicines. I'm open to other ceremonies in the future, but, but that's how I stand today. Yeah. And you know, I'd love if, if you want to tell any of that uh, story, I'd love to dive into that a little bit because well, we're I think, on the psychedelic podcast. Yeah, exactly. Man, I mean, if there's any time, the trip. you know, and so like my, my intention for this is for those listening, like 
I'm curious if, like Sam that I was talking about, did you feel any like angst moving up to the experience? Now, when I say angst, like I think there's a healthy amount of angst or nervousness one yeah. should feel when they're entering a psychedelic space. I don't think you should go in there like, this is going to be easy, right? Like I think that's actually more challenging than being a little nervous. But was there any feelings you got beforehand or and like now in hindsight, can you be like, oh, wow, now I know what that feeling was looking to tell me? Anything like that? I'm really curious to hear. Yeah, there was a there were some red flags that I ignored. One of them was um the person at the time that was that was leading the center and just for legal reasons I can't name the center. Yeah, no worries. But I believe they're in a lawsuit right now, by the way. Just came out mm. like 3 days ago. Interesting correlation. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyways, the leader of the center at that time used to say a phrase to all the participants and he would say, "Don't think, just drink." And something rubbed me wrong on that. And, and in one of, there was four ceremonies. You do them every night for four days. And I went to the shaman one night and I said, the, the leader is saying, you know, don't think, just drink. Do you agree with that? And she said, no, we don't agree with that. And I was like, that, that brought up some fear in me because I'm like, wait, I'm at this center. We got this guy saying one thing. We got the shamans. There was a, there was a discordance there. And so that was one red flag. Also, I know within myself, which I can be honest about, is I was coming from a place of scarcity. I was thinking that as long as I went as deep as possible, I would get the most healing possible. Mm-hmm. And it ain't that way. <laughs> so I, on the, on the fourth night, it was actually my 12th ceremony total in my lifetime. So on that night, we drank this medicine called Yahe. Mm-hmm. And Yahe is like a mixture of things. And quite frankly, I don't really know what was going on with that medicine. I'm not here to say that they did put anything weird in it, but who knows at this point. Um, I was also doing ceremony with 70 people. Wow. which is an incredible amount of people, which yeah. I think there's a, there's another center in Costa Rica that does 20 or less. I would say go to that. Mm. And, um, I had this, I had this incredibly dark night of the soul where I was vomiting into a bucket. I saw the face of my son and I started to relive all these pornographic scenes that I had watched because I had pornography ran my life for mm. 20 years. Mm-hmm. And all of this just dark, sick stuff with any addiction, you have to keep upping the ante to, yeah. to get, whatever it is. And, um, I can speak about it now with, with compassion. Cause I've gone through the healing journey, Paul being part of that, which I'll share. But at the time, I mean, it was incredibly frightening, like terror in a way that you can't even describe with words. And I had like this psychic break. I crawled out of the Maloka. I went into the grass and I was just like trembling and shaking and I realized that that not just for me, but for all human beings, men specifically struggle with porn. Mm. Every single scene that you watch, everything you take in, whether it's porn, horror films, all that stuff, it gets passed into the subconscious. Every single thing that that I absorb gets gets in there. So in a way, I was grateful a year and a half, two years later, <laughs> that I was able to purge that out. But at the time, it was so soul jarring. And it was like ayahuasca just kept slapping me and slapping me and slapping me. Like, is this what you want? You're never going to have children. You're never going to be a father. You're not worthy. Like telling me everything that was my deepest, darkest fears. And um, when I got home, I just had these looping OCD thoughts. By the way, there was no integration. No integration at the end of this thing. So fucked up. Like basically some classes where you shared and then like they offered to have you do some Zoom calls for another 1500 bucks or something, but it was just out of integrity. And so when I got home about two months later, I was in Seattle on a podcast and I couldn't do the podcast. Mm. I was just like having these, these looping thoughts. I'm like, I've never experienced this before. So I, I emailed Paul 
I'm like, Paul, I'm having like really crazy thoughts after this journey. Like I, they're not me. I know those thoughts have nothing to do with the core of my being, but they just, they're relentless. They're fucking relentless. These OCD loops. And so when I flew home, I went to his house and right when I walked in, he's like, you have a black crocodile on you. Mm. Like you have an entity. He's like, I'm going to help you. So he taught me how to do some breathing. He, he cleansed me. He cleansed me for a long time. I was crying. Um, I'm kind of reliving it right now. I haven't thought yeah. about it in a long time. This is uh, and, and he said, you have cords that are attached to every family member who you thought that you were supposed to care for. And they're not yours to care for anymore. You don't have to care for them. Wow. Entities only come into people where there's space for them to live. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a, in a hard truth, the entity came in, the, the OCD thoughts came in to, to build my resilience, to make me know that I am the man that I am that I feel the man that I am because the thoughts that I was thinking were from the pornography. Mm. They were from all the, the really heinous things that I watched. And it's not to shame myself. I was doing the best I could. Mm. Right. I mean, if it wouldn't have been porn, it would have been something else. Texas right? chainsaw massacre or, or something or whatever. <laughs> like, so, but these ones, because in my heart and soul, I, I, I've always known ever since I was a little like 13 year old, I'm like, I'm going to have a, a child one day, you know, I'm going to be a dad one day. And I, I like, love that. I love that. And, and seeing my son now, like, I just, I love him so much. Like I couldn't imagine life without him, mm. you know, like I couldn't even like, there's no way I could live my life without him now. And so, you know, it happened for my good, you know, that journey happened for my good, but at the time it didn't feel like that. And it took me two years to like, lean into the thoughts and and do some specific prayers that Paul had taught me and like really go deep into my own psyche, into my own darkness and the things that drove me to watch the porn in the first place. And so now I can bring that to other people because I've gone through the gauntlet myself, Mm. but I would not wish that upon anyone else. I really wouldn't because it didn't actually have, it was that way for me, but it doesn't have to be that heinous for everyone. It could have gone real dark by the way. Because what if I had somehow gotten coaxed into doing another cup and had a tremendous psychic break? The Native Americans call it soul loss, Mm -hmm. right? When you get shattered and then you look at life through a shattered glass. Mm -hmm. And so for a good year and a half, two years, I was looking at life through a shattered glass. And so I'm not here to judge that center or to judge the person. Um, We've deleted all of our content with them. So we've scrubbed the internet uh, just to, to help people stay safe. Right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an ultimate gift. Like I can sit here and smile now after the tears because, you know, ayahuasca gave me exactly what the fuck I needed. And I said, after a while, thank you. After a while, <laughs> yeah. I said, thank you. For, for a while, I was fighting it. I mean, I had to go real deep into psychic repair, mm-hmm. uh, real, real deep. And, and so um, that's the journey. I mean, wow. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. I know a lot of that story must be pretty traumatizing still to talk about. It it more just like it brought up, um, it brought up love for my son the most. Mm. So it wasn't like I've, I've moved through the traumatic part of it to know that like by me sharing it, it helps people be cautious. Um, if you would have talked to me in 2019, not, I would have still been in the trauma, Yeah, but I've worked with a lot of practitioners to clear that Paul being one of them that really allowed me to be more integrated as to why the entity came in. And by the way, like when, when entities like there, there still might be an occasional thought that floats by, but I'm just like, I gotcha. Yep. <laughs> like I, I, I almost play <laughs> with the thought. Yeah. I'm just like, I see you, you know? And, and that's it because the more I resist something, Napoleon Hill was right, dude. 
what you the resist, more you resist, it will persist. Mm-hmm. So the worst thing you could ever do with OCD or with psychic breaks is to try to get the thought out of there. You actually have to physically and emotionally and spiritually turn to the thought and you have to say, by the power of God invested in me, I ask you to leave. If you're here to teach me something, please teach me, but you're not allowed in my psychic space. Mm -hmm. This is my inner sanctum. So I bid you peace and you need to leave. This is my space and I send you love for the journey. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, it's so powerful, man. And, you know, for everyone listening, you are Josh Trent. You know all of the stuff and you still have this challenging experience, right? So I didn't like, know it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like you were still already exercising, eating the right food, doing all the right quantifiable things to be able to have at least a good experience, right? You knew yourself a little bit. But what about the people that are getting into these experiences that don't have that stuff in place already? Like, that's why right. I'm so big on having the show and really talking about these scary things that happen because. My intention with the show is, and I say it too, I'm not pro or anti-psychedelic. I'm just like, is it right for the situation or the individual person? It has been for me in my life, and I'm very grateful for that. But in a very similar experience to you, you know, I had a very deep LSD journey once in my life that was uh, not intended to be as deep as it was, which is how most LSD journeys start That's how they all start. Yeah, exactly. How much did we take? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I was faced with a lot of darkness and... In that, I saw the reality in which my psyche fragmented and I never came back the way I was supposed to. And when I touched ground, I was so excited to be back in sobriety. It was like, I am good for a long time. And now that's why like cannabis is my main medicine because I interact with it in a way that puts me just above my normal consciousness. So Ooh, I still this have, is so good. Yeah, I still have That's both it. my feet on the ground. That's it. Right, because I don't need a lot of big journeys. Like every once in a great while, if it calls on me, okay, I'll do it. But most of the time, I'm like just looking for like a quick little thing, nothing crazy, because I know what can open up. And also, I've fortunately been able to work with amazing people like Paul who have helped me be able to integrate a lot of my experiences. So now, my life is fucking awesome. Like I don't need a lot. I'm not looking for I know you wear lot. it. You, yeah. you wear <laughs> that your you, life is awesome. I want to say <laughs> one you. thing. Like like um, there is a there's a man that I have followed for a long time. His name is David Data, mm, and he wrote I know the, him. He yep. wrote the Way of the Superior Man, and I, and I, I love, love you. You know, people might not love all of his work, and that's fine. I don't think we're supposed to love everyone's work, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. But I will say, he said this this one quote, and it's just so profound for all of us. And it is, we must lean into our edge, but not beyond our edge. And yes. also, we must not stray away from our edge. So it's like comfort kills, right? Well, so does like driving the needle so hard that you hurt yourself. Mm. So if there is the edge of psychedelic use and I can take myself, like here would be, you know, maybe a little bit, um, I'm in fear or I'm not going to the edge. But if I go to the edge and I just go 1% beyond the edge, like almost like I'm leaning over a cliff, right? And I'm seeing what could happen if I jump off. You don't have to, I'm, I'm here to give everyone permission. You don't have to jump off. No matter what any leader says or any podcast that you hear, you don't have to jump off the ledge. You can just take yourself to the edge. There's so much to learn there. Just leaning over the edge 1%. You will get just as much wisdom, just as much knowledge, if not more actually, with less danger. And you know what's so cool about that? So the universe speaks to me in analogies. And so the analogy just came into me as a NASCAR analogy. 
You know drifting? How you yeah. get behind a car and drift? Yes. Well, what happens if you drift too much, right? You might smash the back of the car. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to find out how to drift just enough that eventually you can get around that car. But if you do it too quickly, you're just going to smash into the car in front of you. And I think that's a great analogy for this idea of the comfort zone. Yes. And that's why I'm so big on cold exposure and things like that that aren't necessarily psychedelic in nature, but can allow me to help me find that edge. And then if I'm feeling a call of like, maybe I'm moving into a different chapter of my life or something like that. I'll use a minimum effective dose of whatever I'm interacting with to be able to get to that zone of comfort, like that edge, and be able to ride that edge. Because at the end of the day, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And so you want to make it sustainable. And so whether it comes to exercise, psychedelics, whatever, if you go way over your edge, you're going to traumatize yourself. And then you might never experience that again. And, yeah. and who knows, you could have experienced something very beautiful that could have been a really positive conscious relationship, but now you've traumatized yourself and you're like, fuck that. It happens all the time with cannabis. I mean, it's one of the main things that happened in sure. the industry with so many people. I did that that one time. I <laughs> ate an edible because it happens with edibles. You know, it's, There's always an edible story. Yes, right? there is. I remember I when I <laughs> when I used um, an edible very unconsciously, I ate an entire Rice Krispie square. Oh, yikes. And the woman that made it was like, Oh, you ate the whole square? You were supposed to just eat a bite of the square. (laughs) And I woke up after 14 hours, like uh, my keys were in my hands in my pocket. (laughs) I had a huge crease on my face and I was like, never again. I don't think I'll ever eat an edible ever again. (laughs) Yeah. I always say that if, if you've been interacting with cannabis long enough, you have an edible story. And really, it's a story about how an experience that was fun turned into an ordeal. That's right. You know, and it's like you want to have the experience. You don't necessarily want to have the ordeal. Doesn't mean you might not have a little bit of an ordeal, but you don't want the entire experience to be described as an ordeal, right? It's like your ayahuasca experience. Luckily, you were able to have the right people in your life to move through that and the consciousness of like something's going on here. But, you know, to bring it back to like terrible things that happen, imagine if someone has that experience, they're too young to understand that, then they have those recurring thoughts and they just start identifying with them. Right. What happens then? Absolutely. And I do want to give credit to, to Carrie, to my partner, because Mm. she was, we actually got together when I came home from that journey. Wow. So when I was going through all my stuff, she was there. Oh my goodness. She was there for me. It's amazing, man. You know, I mean, really like, you know, like I said, I think in your episode, community is my biggest thing. Community, collaboration, connection. And, you know, if if I choose to believe like you do and like I do, that, you know, we are all God experiencing itself, right? We're different, you know, versions essentially of the same source. Then in reality, the people around us can can act as the mirrors of how we can see ourselves. And so it sounds like Carrie was able to mirror a safety back to you that you're able to find and anchor into yourself again. Yes. And that's the beauty that Rachel's done for me. That's the beauty that a lot of my friends have done for me. It's and so also, powerful. And also the things that still aren't healed. Yes, yes. And the feminine will do that in a very um, challenging way at times. <laughs> yes. But it's but I don't think I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think it's that, great. I think I think it's great. I mean, look, every she's on her journey, so am I, just like, you know, Rachel's on her journey too. Mm -hmm. So like, as long as there's a a shared commitment to mirroring each other and to practicing NDC and to practicing communicating, like it's going to be okay. Yeah. It really will be like, (laughs) and I, I, I truly believe that like it will be okay as long as there's a shared commitment to doing the work together. And a lot of times what gets in the way of, of the shared commitment is that like one person like I see this um, with a friend here. Obviously, I'm not going to name their name, but their their partner wants to go from ceremony to ceremony to ceremony, and he's like, "I don't resonate with that." And so there's like a natural bifurcation that's happening in their relationship because they've lost that commitment to to, to conscious mirroring, to conscious mm-hmm. growth. 
And, and so psychedelics can, you know, for people that have like a predisposition for addiction or a predisposition to check out, you know, psychedelics either check you in or they check you the fuck out. A hundred percent. And so you, you can really check yourself out of a relationship and sabotage a relationship through psychedelics as well. Yeah. You know, it's actually funny. There's a phenomenon with cannabis uh, with that, with uh, indigenous cultures to speak about it, about how men specifically will end up overusing cannabis as a as a uh, fill-in for a woman in their life Ooh, right and i can start, see that yeah and they'll start relying on that i can and, see that and it's big with men like i always say to men like hey to the degree that you're overusing cannabis look at the other women in your life no doubt right? and or look usually, at the vacancy of them yeah exactly <laughs> and why it's so much vacancy right uh -huh. and like what your actions have showed women in, that were in your life and one of the best quotes i ever heard about relationships was a relationship is an unspoken agreement to project onto one another with the intention of healing one another but if you don't recognize that, then it's just victim mentality, right? Like she did this to me or he did this to me. And then it becomes a war. Dude, I have been on this note. We just, she was like, Carrie was like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I want to do a relationship course with you. So we got, <laughs> we got the Gottman Institute's course and it was amazing, like how to navigate conflict. And it's really just the framework that I'm sure you're aware of, which is the nonviolent, right? Mm -hmm. So you fully listen. When I listen, I take notes mm. and then I tell her what I heard, make sure she feels fully heard. Then I actually truly give empathy and not just empathy like, oh, sorry, you feel that way. I've seen that a lot <laughs> yeah. where it's like, oh, wow, that must be hard. But there's really not like you have to actually put yourself in the other person's shoes mm -hmm. and be like, wow, when I told you that or when you went through that, I actually can feel that that would really suck. You know, that yeah. really sucks. And I've, whether it's an apology or not, you could just give them true empathy and then you follow it up with, okay, well, is there anything else? Give them even more spaciousness. Just doing that, oh my God, that is a relationship upgrade like no other. You know, it's a practice, right? It's a practice, but that is that is huge. I could see I could see psychedelics working its way into that, you know, maybe like a microdosing program. MDMA would be fantastic. MDMA or like some type of psychedelic that's cued for the person combined with NVC. Mm -hmm. Put those together. Whew, I mean, that could change the whole game. I mean, that is legitimately what happened in that story in Las Vegas I was telling you about with Rachel. The strip club. Yeah, with strip, yeah, the strip club story. So, like, I was on MDMA, and I allowed, like, I really went there with Rachel, and I was like, wow, if I was in that position, that would really suck. And so it allowed me to take ownership over, like, hey, I was a part of this, and I don't want to be a part of that in the future. Like, I don't want, yeah. like, my actions to make someone I love feel that way. Right, I had empathy for myself and compassion for myself. Like, hey, I didn't intend for it, but it did happen. Take ownership over it. But like the amount of liberation on the other side of that, it stings for about five minutes taking ownership over that. But once you realize you can, and once you realize how amazing your partner feels or your friends feel or anyone, business partners, whatever, feeling you doing that, how much safety that creates, that becomes addicting. And like that's a positive addiction in the way where you yeah. start realizing like, hey, if I really go there with people and I allow them to feel like, like, I really care. I'm really holding space. I'm really listening. Like, the amount of ability for me to connect deepens so much. And so, like, I think about, you know, addiction is looked at as just an objectively bad thing. But, like, I think you can become addicted or not dependent. That would be the wrong word. But like, addicted to, like, good things as well, right? Sure, sure. Like, I love, I'm addicted to language work. I'm addicted then, to story work. <laughs> but then maybe, maybe it's not even that we're addicted to the good thing. Maybe it's just that now that's fundamentally who we are. You know, we are it's not that we're addicted to the good stuff. It's that we, we live life in that way effort, effortlessly. We, we have embodied this way of being not because we have to, or because we're addicted to it, but because it just, it feels best. It, it's, it's aligned for, for who we are. 
And it's not like we're struggling on the river so much anymore. And that in itself, there's no addiction needed because the path of least resistance is so nourishing sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we need to go the path of resistance, but, yeah. but generally, you know, on a high level, like the path of least resistance means that we're not struggling to swim up the river anymore. And so it's not even an addiction. I get what you're saying though. It's, it's a great under, it's a great construct to understand, but maybe it's not even addiction. Maybe we actually just, that's the way of our being. Yeah, I'm going to change out addiction for excitement. It's what excites you the most. Yeah. That's a cool way to look at it. Yes. You know, like you're excited yes. to do that, right? No doubt. It's like if you could bring the energy you bring when you're going to a water park to go down water slides into emotional work and like working with your partner in these ways, man, you won the game. You know, <laughs> better, bring, you better bring your trunks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Josh, this has been amazing, man. Yes. Such an incredible opportunity, an amazing dialogue we had. I want to make sure I give people um, all the places they can find you, connect with you. Of course, we'll link it all in the show notes. Cool. But where can people find you where can they connect with all the amazing amazing work you are doing in the world my man the best place to start is the wellness wisdom podcast mm. so you can search anywhere for that just type in wellness wisdom or type in josh trent on google um <laughs> it's interesting like i'm in the process i know you understand this as a business owner like we're in the process of moving everything slowly over to joshtrent.com mm -hmm. but i've had like seven years now of wellnessforce.com so um you can just go to joshtrent.com, honestly. And the best place to start for actually taking a step and doing the breathing and integrating some of these tools that we've talked about, I built a guide. It's called the M21 Guide. It's six practices that you can practically begin your day with. That's why it's a practice. Mm -hmm. And there's some breathing in there. There's some intentional work in there. There's, there's actually a really nice womb squat practice in there mm. that I love. And so that can be found at joshtrent.com forward slash M21. And that's free. There's some breath work in there. You guys get started there and then, you know, you can enter my world from there. Yes. Explore. I mean, you do so much amazing stuff, man. For everyone listening, please hop into Josh's world. It's amazing. And it's ever evolving too, right? Like yeah. you're constantly putting out new stuff. I mean, you're a mover and a shaker and that's something I get super inspired by because having two podcasts and doing a lot of stuff, I know how it is. But at the same time, it speaks to the passion you have behind what you do, because you can only do that much and be as calm as you are right now if you truly are filled up by what you do. So please, everyone listening, take note of who Josh is and who he is, like who he bees, and really dive into his work because it's so powerful. Thank you. And my last question for you, Josh, is this. Let's say someone listened to this conversation and they were very inspired by what you spoke of with regards to psychedelics. What would be your best piece of advice to allow them to use discernment in discovering if these medicines are right for them in their life. Start with the intentionality that we spoke about and spend enough time just with you with no psychedelics first. And then from that place, notice what comes up, do any necessary work to, to clear that emotion, that energy and motion from your system. And then I would say, start with a microdosing program first, mm. right? I know you might offer some things like that. Mm -hmm. So, so, Take the time to explore the landscape of psychedelics. Choose the medicine that intuitively pulls your heart, not pushes your head. And then take all the work that you did to prepare yourself for that and treat it like a sacred journey. Mm. You know, treat, treat it like a sacred journey because it is. Mm. Uh, I think it's really easy for, for all of us to fall into the trap of it just being like the next thing we do so we can get more peace. Mm -hmm. But that's just a lie. I love that, man. Spoken perfectly. All righty, guys. Believe me when I say that after first hearing Josh on the Living 4D podcast with Paul Check some time back, I was extremely interested in having him on to discuss his experiences with plant medicines and to dive into all of the juicy subjects you heard us discuss today. 
What I love most about Josh is that along with having a heart the size of Texas, he is one of the leading voices who is not only speaking to the potential benefits of plant medicines, but also to the potential challenges within his space. As you all know, my intention for this show is not to recommend psychedelics and plant medicines to anyone, but rather to speak to the experiences people have had in order to allow people to be aware of the full spectrum of possibilities within the space. My hope is that by having individuals like Josh on, who can speak to both sides of this coin, you can each use discernment in your life as to whether these medicines are right for you at this time. Always remember that these medicines are only showing you what is already possible within your life, and the real work within this realm is in the integration of how you take your PEAK experiences with these plants, which are the experiences themselves, and turn them into PEEK experiences, where your day-to-day life can begin to resemble the magic you feel within the plant medicine space. In this way, you can ensure that you are, in fact, connecting with these plants as medicines, rather than substances, and ensure you are providing them with the respect and reverence they deserve. Josh, thank you so much for the beautiful heart flow we created within this episode, for being a source of inspiration for countless individuals looking to upgrade their intelligence and life as a whole, and for doing the important work you are doing in the world. And until next time, my brother, may your journey be smooth and full of light. Aho. Aho, great spirit. Aho. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Skip Kelly. I know I definitely did. If you were moved by it, consider leaving us a review for this podcast and leaving a review for Skip over on Apple or Spotify. Just click over to joshtrent.com forward slash review. That's joshtrent.com forward slash review from your phone, from your tablet, your computer. Leave your honest thoughts. I want to know what you think and feel. If you want to get coached one-on-one by me, just hop over to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. If you're tired of being stressed out and overwhelmed, the cure for overwhelm and stress is here. This is a simple yet powerful 21-minute morning system that melts stress and gives you more energy through six science-backed practices and breath work. It's for better immunity. It's for more energy so you can live life well. Just go to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. I'll see you on the inside.